Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 2. And we've been in a series of messages. We said what's new. And what we said is we're not going back to normal. We're going forward uh, with the new that God wants to do. And uh, we've been talking about that. And when when God started speaking to me as, as kind of some of the events with COVID and all that started unfolding, I really felt so impressed that, that God really wanted, a, I think God always wants to move. Um, I think the secret to a move of God is not on God's side of the equation, it's, it's on the people. God is looking for a people to work through and to move through. And, and what I felt was like God really wants to move. He, he really wants to move by the power of his spirit. We talked about the, the Holy Spirit last week that God really wants to move. And, and another thing that I felt like God really wanted to do is I really feel like God wants to do miracles and healing. Now, when I say that, it's kind of like I, I don't know what I'm thinking, but because uh, I've got this week and another week, and then I'll be gone on sabbatical for a few weeks. And uh, and I'm kind of ending on all controversial issues in the church. Like, <laughs> so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow everything up and leave the staff to figure it out. And um, and by the way, you don't want to miss next week. It's gonna be incredible. Uh, but um, uh, but you know when you talk about when I said last week when we talked about the Holy Spirit, we talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You have uh, a section of our church. Uh, you know, there's like a demographic, if you will, spiritual demographic that says, "Oh yeah, we were taught about that. We 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 love the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You know, tongues is not." upsetting to us or even makes us nervous. And then you have another group of people that um, maybe they really weren't taught a lot about it, so it doesn't really upset them that much. They just kind of lean in like, oh, we really hadn't heard much about this. And then you have a, even another group of people that may have been taught against those things. And so they start hearing those things. They're like, ah, you know. And so <laughs> like Ray Romano and everybody loves Raymond. Ah. Anyways, um, but um, and so we talked about that last week, and I hope you'll go back and listen to that. And obviously, any time that I that I bring a message, I, I'm I really, even though I'm like the longest winded preacher, meaning I preach so long, and I'm sorry, um, but I just have a lot to say. And um, but I can't say everything that has to be said, so I have to kind of think about the audience and think about what I need to say to try to help those three. And it's kind of the same this week when I talk about miracles, and, and I really prayed. I was like, God, do I talk about like healing? Or do I talk about miracles? And I feel like um, I felt like I wanted to talk about miracles because it's not talked a whole lot about in the church. But if you believe in the God who does miracles, you believe in the God who heals. I feel like those start start they they, they kind of they're not synonymous, but kind of right. It's, it's I mean. So, so, I, but, but even still, when I say that, what I know is that there are people, even in our church, there's a spiritual demographic, if you will, people that they're like, yeah, I believe God does miracles. And that you may even have a story about a miracle that God did. Like for me, I believe God does miracles, not because necessarily I read it in the Bible, although I believe it's all the way through the entire Bible. I believe God does miracles because I've seen them, Right. And, and so, I, I, I mean, God, I was born paralyzed partially, and God healed me miraculously. And then, I, you know, my oldest son, and we've had a whole lot, but I'm just saying these are just two. Like my oldest son, I remember his hip came out of place, and God put his hip back in place on an x-ray table in, in, in the doctor's office. And even the doctor was, I mean, he's a Christian, but he was like, well, this was the great physician because this doesn't happen without surgery. There's not a way to fix this, right? This doesn't happen. So I, I've seen, um, I've seen miracles, and um, 
And so I believe in them. Now, having said that, there are those that believe in miracles. There are those that are uncertain about miracles. And there are those that do not believe in miracles. And I would say probably in our church, if we were honest, I'm not talking about the colloquial phrases that we say, and I'm not talking about the the Bible things that we're supposed to say. I'm talking about in our heart of hearts, because you understand until you're honest with you, there is nothing God can do. Like we, we, we can't get anywhere until we're in reality, until we're actually honest about us and where we're at. And I think so many times we know the churchy things to say, but I'm not asking, do you know the church? I'm not asking, do you have a church vernacular? I'm asking, where is your heart centered at? Like what's going on in here? Because here's what I know. Like probably in this room, we have people who have seen miracles. We have people who are unsure and we have people again that don't believe in them. And the people who are uncertain or don't believe in them, most of the time that belief system, and please, I want to say this with all respect. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Most of the time that belief system is founded on, on experience not scripture, right? Because me as a pastor, I have seen miracles. I have also done the funeral of people that I was convinced God was going to heal. And so I think if, listen to me very carefully, most of the time, if you're going to follow God, you're going to have to, you're going to have to understand that God always works in tension, right? Like Jesus is full of grace and truth. Those things are, that's a tension, right? You get it? Because truth is like this truth. And it's like not soft. It's just like you're a sinner. You're going to hell. This was wrong with you. That's truth, right? And then grace is you're covered by God. You know, <laughs> you're wonderful. God's way. And so it, those are attention. And I think it, it, with the, the walk of faith, there's always things we understand and things we don't understand. And faith is only necessary when I don't understand. And so I'm all the time in tension. And so for me, I guess here's what I'm saying, and I'm trying just to to let you know I understand, because someone will hear this and say, well, yeah, you you preach that because you have to or you're supposed to, but that's not really how it works. Listen, I only preach how it works, but I understand in preaching how it works, and I preach what I believe. You need to know I have also wrestled with miracles that didn't happen. I have just chosen in the tension to go back to God and his word and say, who are you? I'm not going to let my experience in a fallen world tell me who you are. I'm going to let you tell me who you are. Right? And so it, it brings me back then to this is what I believe. I understand it didn't happen there. And I hate that. And it sucks. And it's painful. And it's hard. And I can't stand it. But it just is what it is. And I kind of let that tension there drive me in a way that says, because here's what I believe. You'll never see a miracle if you don't believe in them. So if, if you don't believe in miracles, don't worry. You'll never see one. But what I say is, here's what I think as a pastor. I think about one, like what if I got one miracle? I may have believed for 600, but I got one. What if one person was healed? I may have prayed for a thousand, but one got healed. And what I say is, but if, but if I create a doctrine based on disappointment, then I won't ever get the one. 
right? And so to me, and then I always think, but what about if the next one started a revival of miracles? Like Acts chapter three with the lame man, right? And so I have those type of thoughts. So what I'm saying, I guess what I'm saying today, before I get in the message, the message is a lot better than the introduction. But I think you need to know, I think sometimes pastors need to be honest to say, we have to wrestle with the same stuff you do. And you prayed and you went to a funeral and I prayed and then had to stand up and do the funeral. And sometimes we just need to be honest to say there's a tension here, but who does God say that he is? What does the Bible say that he is? What does the Bible say that he does? And then what do I do with that? Does that make sense? So there's my disclaimer. So we're in John chapter two. And this is the first miracle that Jesus did. And I, I picked this one. And one of the reasons I picked this miracle, because this is where Jesus turns the water into wine. Now, I personally like this miracle. I think it's incredible. I think it's incredible, number one, because it seems very inconsequential. This is not someone who died that he resurrected. This is not even walking on the water to, to go by the disciples. This is, this is not, you know, blind Bartimaeus. I mean, this, this is none of those things. This is the party was about to end three days early. And Jesus is like, I'll do a miracle to keep the party going. Like if you've ever thought God's kind of stuffy, I can't hang out with him. His first miracle was to keep the party going. Like you gotta like that guy. Right. And apparently he comes from a good family because his mama told him to. And so we're at Canaan. And here's what you need to know. Back then, weddings were a little bit different. Or, well, in the Jewish culture, they're different. There are six, uh, the, the, the wedding is actually like six days long. Really, it's like six days of a reception. And the, the couple that got married, they don't go out of town on a honeymoon. They stay here for a week, uh, which could be good or bad, depending on how you feel about your family. And, um, <laughs> and so your in-laws, praise the Lord. But anyways... Um, but, but they're treated like royalty for the week. And there's all these cool events that happen and parades and processionals. And, and so it's kind of, they're kind of treated like the, the king and the queen. And so the, the wedding actually lasted from Sabbath to Sabbath. What, what most historians agree on is that the, the reason Mary comes to Jesus is because the wedding is of a family member. Some people believe it's actually John's wedding. Now, some people argue that because they say, well, John, if he's writing about the wedding, why didn't he say my wedding? But if you think about it, John wrote in third person because he even called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right? Like, he, he wouldn't say, and I'm John. He would just say, yeah, that Jesus favorite. That's who wrote this book. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right. So, so it could be him. And the groom's family had to provide the refreshments. Um, now, the, our, in our culture, the bride's family uh, usually does, which is great for me because I have one daughter and three boys. And so, um, yeah, anyways, I'm sorry, two boys. I can't apparently count. <laughs> We were talking about common core math in the green room, and obviously it's just messed me up. Um, but <laughs> um, I couldn't get the pictures right to figure out how many kids I had. Um, shh, I'm telling this story. Anyways, the groom's family provides the refreshments, and it was kind of a shameful thing. It was, it was like 
terrible if they ran out of refreshments, kind of a scandal, and then you're talked about, you know, for the rest of your life um, because you ran out of uh, ran out of wine. And so that's why Mary comes to Jesus. So uh, we'll jump into the text on uh, John chapter two, verse one. It said on the third day, a wedding took place in Canaan, Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus' disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, now you got to put your, your best mama tone on this. Because this wasn't like they have no more wine. Because that's not how your mama explains to you there's a problem you need to do something about. She doesn't come to you and say, you know, your room's not clean. <laughs> right? That's not... Apparently you are sitting by your mama's because you're not willing to go with me on this. But anyways, she comes to him and says, you know how this... <sighs> They have no more wine. Right, that's how they did it. And then Jesus replied, woman, now time out. Okay, this is Jewish culture. I wouldn't recommend this in American culture if you'd like to keep your teeth. And um, this was a respectful, not like, just trust me on that. Right, and so woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not come. And his mother said to his servants, notice she doesn't say anything else to him. She says, y'all do whatever he says. And then you know what happened, the look. Y'all do whatever he says. I'm just trying to help you see it. Verse six, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Let's do the math there. That's about 180 gallons of wine. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom and said, everyone else brings out the Don Perignon first and then gets the boxed wine. <laughs> After the guests have had too much to drink, but you've saved the best Till now. And what Jesus did in Canaan was the first of signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Uh, my title won't make sense until point number three, but you can go ahead and write it down. I call this message, Fill the Jars. Fill the Jars. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us to hear what you want us to hear. Help us to see God, our Father, more clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Write, write this down. Three things, and, and I'll try to move through them expeditiously. Um, three things. Number one, God does miracles. God does miracles. Write that down. Um, I, what I like about this it's the first miracle. I think there's a lot that we could say. But in John uh, chapter 2, verse 3, when Mary comes to Jesus, um, I like the inference of her statement because she didn't tell Jesus like, you know, hey, um, I don't know if there's something you could do here. I don't know. Could you run to the store, to the vineyard? She, she comes presupposing his capacity to solve the problem. What I like also is his response is in agreement with her inquiry. Because she doesn't come and say, I don't know if you could do something about this. She comes and says, they're out of wine. And he doesn't say, you know, I don't know. I, there's nothing I can do. I'm, 
He actually says, I get it, but it's not my time. Like heaven and earth are colliding here, but they're colliding in agreement that God does the impossible. Do you see that? From heaven's perspective, yeah, I know I do miracles. From earth's perspective, you can do a miracle. Do, do you see it? It's, I, I like it because of the agreement and the alliance. No wonder there's a miracle. Because what's incredible about this is Jesus said, I can do nothing unless I see the Father do it. Did he not? Now think about this. She comes and says they're out of wine. So Jesus can't turn water into wine unless God is nodding. And she says they're out of wine. And Jesus looks to the Father and says, not my time. Meaning God was not turning water into wine. But then mama presses harder. Y'all do whatever he says. And I think Jesus looked back and I think the Father's like, we'll start here. Like the, the agreement and the alignment of heaven and earth is where you got the miracle. That's why I say it. If you don't believe for miracles, don't worry. They won't sneak up on you. Like, I don't know if, I don't know what Mary knew. I knew, I know she had to be more convinced than anyone that Jesus was immaculately conceived. I don't know what life was like growing up with Jesus because we don't have those things. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if she had experience where she was like, you know, making dinner or something. And then she's like, Jesus, can you run down to the store and get me some oil or something? And then he's like, you know, I got a lot of homework. I'm working on stuff, mom. And she's like, Jesus, go get the oil. And then Jesus kind of like, are you sure we're out, mom? Okay, maybe check again now. And he's like, oh, I have oil again. I don't know if they went to swim. And she had to tell Jesus, you get down in that water like every other child and swim. I don't, I don't, I don't know what she knew, but I know when she came to Jesus, she was convinced he had the power to solve the problem. Here's the good news and the bad news. It's all in one is that God can do miracles, but if you need a miracle, that means you have a problem and you can't have a miracle without a problem. And I just say that because if you're in this room and you have a problem, that's bad. But the good news is you're now a candidate and the bigger the problem, Look at these scriptures. Psalm, and I could have, I, I took so many out of the message or we'd be here all day. Psalm 77, 14, look at this. You are the God who works miracles. Look what David said. You are the God who, God does miracles. You are the God who works miracles. You showed your might among the nations. Look at Romans 4, 17. I'm going to, let's see, yeah. Romans 4, 17. It says, as it is written, this is Abraham, and this gives the description of the God that Abraham believed in. Now, Abraham got a tremendous miracle. In fact, there's several miraculous things in the life of Abraham, but Romans 4, 17 says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. Now, this is the God that he believed in, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Do you understand the cornerstone of Abraham's faith really wasn't what we would call salvation or justification. He didn't understand those things. They weren't explained. If you think about it, God comes to him and he says, Abraham, he says, I want to make you a great nation. 
can you believe me? And he's talking to a man who Genesis one chapter earlier, we learned he and his wife are barren, meaning it is proven they cannot have children. Yet God comes to him and says, I want to make you a nation. He didn't say, I want to justify you by faith. He didn't say, I want to save you. He didn't say, my son's going to come and die on a cross. Can you believe that? All of that comes later. What he says is, can you believe that I can do something that you cannot do, that medical medicine cannot do? Can you believe that I can do something that you know is impossible. And the bedrock of the faith of Abraham was that God could and would do something that without God, it was impossible to be accomplished. I would just say, maybe that should be the bedrock of our faith, that we believe in the God who does miracles, that the, the, the foundational cornerstone of faith is we are following a God who is supernatural who does miracles. Um, look at New Testament verses, right? Because that was the Old Testament. Okay, New Testament. Acts 5.12, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Well, that was the apostles. Okay, but can you just show me anywhere in the Bible where it tells us to stop performing miracles? Like, look for verses that tell us miracles stopped. Miracles stop when people stop believing. Right? And, and so, I mean, even the Bible says, Paul, many miracles were done at the hands of Paul. Peter's shadow healed the sick. I mean, I would argue they're not apostles as much as they're disciples first. And we're supposed to be disciples. Let's look at this. First Corinthians 12, 7. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us to help another. Now, we all, don't we like that screen? Isn't that a nice warm? It's kind of a fuzzy, like, oh, God has given me spiritual goodness. Spiritual gift. M most people that I know don't have a problem with that verse. Oh, yeah, we have spiritual gifts of service and love. and Right? And you obviously know by the sarcasm of my tone, I'm about to make a point. Because we're going to read the next few verses. God gives a spiritual gift. Okay, well, what does that look like? Well, to one person, he gives the ability to give wise advice. Oh, yeah, and the multitude of counselors is great wisdom. I love that. I love that. To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. Words of wisdom, well, it's kind of iffy. I don't know where they come from. The spirit gives great faith to another. Okay, well, I'm okay. I could use some gift of great faith. And someone else, one spirit, the spirit gives the gift of healing. Well, I don't know. Doctrinally, I don't believe in that. In verse 10, he gives to one person the power to perform miracles. These are all under the category of spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives and works through believers. In the New Testament, this is, right? Look, look at 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God is appointed in the church, look at this, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Then God is appointed in the church, miracles. And God has appointed in the church gifts of healing. Now, if God doesn't intend to do miracles, and God doesn't intend to heal, I wonder why he would place that in the church. And I'm, and I'm not trying, please hear me, I'm not trying to be snarky or, you know, like sharp or 
I'm, I'm not trying to ruffle, we I am. I'm trying to ruffle your feathers just enough to think about what you believe. And is what you believe the same as the Bible? Right? Because we, we have all these, all these verses that say God does miracles. I mean, and you have in the Bible, I mean, there's tons of miracles, over 120 miracles, I think, that you can just take one by one throughout the Bible. Um, and, and so we have a God that from Genesis through the book of Revelation in our Bible, we see miracles. But then I think in a way, I think it's the enemy has somehow convinced us that that is our God and that's what he used to do. And it's almost like we've, we, the way we settle the tension in our soul is to relax our faith by increasing our understanding. And so, so for instance, we create a doctrine that helps us understand why God doesn't do these things, thereby we don't believe them. Now there's not that pressure point of believing God for something impossible because he's the God that used to do the impossible and he did that to get the church started and to get us all here. But now God doesn't do that anymore. But we're okay with that because we've doctrinally kind of eased the tension through gaining understanding. Oh, come on. Come on, you just work with me here. Do you see what I'm saying? Listen, I'm a pastor. I've watched this. I don't know how many times. Because to stay in the tension of a God who does miracles, when we pray for miracles and they don't happen, it's hard and disappointing and painful. So what do we do? We let experience create doctrine. We'll even use the word of God to, to support or prop that up. We'll take scriptures like, well, where there is, uh, you know, where there's tongues, they will cease. We talked about that one last week in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, where there's tongues, they will cease. In the same verse, where there's knowledge, it will cease. Has knowledge ceased? No. We would say this is the information age. Well, if knowledge hasn't ceased, tongues hasn't ceased. But we say, well, tongues has ceased because once we create a doctrine that relieves the attention, I don't have to believe that or be stressed out about it anymore. And it's true. You don't have to believe it or be stressed out by it. You don't have to be bothered by the power of it, the significance of it, the might of it, the strength of it. It doesn't transform your life. And Satan's really happy because you've taken part of the gift that God wanted to give you for the life he called you to live and you've set it aside. And now you live a life below the standard for which God has called and created you for and Satan wins, but you'll still get to heaven and that's good. And I guess my question is, and I'm not asking you, do you know colloquial phrases? Can you make a post on Instagram? I, I want our church to think in my heart of hearts today, is he the God that did miracles or is he the God that does miracles? Because Hebrews 13, 6 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever. Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord. I do not change. Hear, hear me with all respect. I don't think God's changed. I think the, cha the church has changed its mind. I think he's the God that does miracles. Here's the second thing. Write this down. Miracles aren't limited by God. They're limited by belief. Miracles aren't limited by God. They're limited by belief. Look at John back to verse five. This is what I love. Jesus, they're out of wine. You know? <laughs> 
Woman, what's that to do with me? <laughs> Y'all do whatever he says. Like what I like is that she didn't, Mary didn't back up from it. I mean, it's, it's an incredible statement of faith to give instructions to, to the, the servants there or the guys standing there as though something's about to happen when Jesus seems to imply that nothing's about to happen. Like how much faith does it take to move God to do something he wasn't even planning to do? And isn't this incredible because some of you say, well, you can get a miracle if God wants to do one. God wasn't planning to do this one. That may be the best thing I said. And I think y'all missed it. I'm going to try again. Because some people will say that God acts autonomously and only does the miracles. Like sometimes he wills to heal. Sometimes he doesn't will to heal. Sometimes he wills to do a miracle. And again, this um, demonic doctrine of sovereignty, which there is a doctrine of sovereignty. This one's demonic because it alleviates us from having any faith or any part or any role or any belief. And it just places all of it on God. And it's the case. It's not the Bible. It's what I'm telling. But we, we do that. And here's what I'm saying. If that's the case, then how in the world did this come? Because again, Jesus looks at the Father. He's like, I'm not turning water into wine. Jesus is like, he's not turning water into wine. It's not my time. And she's like, y'all do whatever that boy over there says. And I think she looked at him. And then all of a sudden he looks and he's like, okay, we're going to turn water into wine now. How much faith does it take to get God to do something he wasn't even planning to do? And if God can be, do, can, can, can be faith and believed into doing something he wasn't planning to do, how can we sit back and say, well, we can't be a believer a miracle unless God was planning to do it. He wasn't planning to do this miracle, but faith caused it to happen. Y'all don't make me work so hard. Right? Miracles aren't, they're not limited by God. The, the limiting factor, the limiting force of miracles is faith. Look at this, Mark 16, 17. This is, this is the Great Commission, but it's in Mark's gospel, and we usually don't use it because it has the stuff that makes church people nervous in it. So we use Matthew's. It's a little more clean and neat and creased. Oh, y'all think I'm lying, but I'm telling the truth, right? Because if I read Matthew, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize, you know, oh, yes, for Great Commission. Let's read what Mark said. And these signs will follow those who believe. If you don't believe, probably won't follow. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. It's in the same book that Matthew got a book deal, Mark got a book deal. All in the same book. Are you with me? They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents in their hands. Yeah, they'll get your purse. They're going to get the snake. They will, <laughs> serpents in their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. If it's in our Bible, we got to do something with it. These signs will follow. Who will they follow? Those that believe. What is the limiting factor on seeing these miraculous signs? Those that believe. Is it that God can't do it? God can do all things for those that believe. Are you with me? It's kind of like the, remember the, the, the boy, the father brought his son to the disciples and Jesus and, and some of his, his like, Fave three, they were up on the mountain, Mount Transfiguration, and the disciples couldn't cast, he was, the boy was demonized, and the disciples couldn't cast demons out. And so Jesus comes down, there's kind of a commotion, and, and the father says, I brought him to your disciples. 
right? This is like Mark chapter 9. Yeah, Mark chapter 9. I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything. And then he says this, if, if you can do anything. And then Jesus says this in Mark 9.23. He says, if you can believe. All things are possible to him who It's the question isn't what can he do? The question is, what can you believe? I'll even go. Can I go one further? The question isn't even what can he do? The question is, who do you believe? Notice I put who in there. Because really, the anchoring point of the anchoring point of faith is who he is. Faith has, faith has to be attached to something that will hold. And attaching faith to God's performance is always a shaky place to attach faith. Because we start out by saying, we've all prayed for things we didn't see happen. Well, how, how do we find stability again? Because we anchored our faith not to God's performance, but to his person. Do you remember when uh, Jesus, uh, do you remember when he rebuked the fig tree? He cursed it. Like he went to get figs and there are no figs on the tree, no fig newtons, and which is the only way I eat figs. Because <laughs> if you make a cookie out of it, it's kind of like deep frying vegetables. Are y'all with me on that? Like, I mean, you can take some nasty vegetables. Like somebody asked, do you eat okra? I'm like, is it fried? <laughs> Anyways, figs. And he couldn't get a fig and he cursed the tree and the Bible says the disciples heard it. This is Mark 11. And then they came back the next day and the fig tree died and they were like, holy cow. Like Jesus is serious about his fig newtons. You know, like <laughs> y'all don't mess up with the figs, man. And, and, and they ask him about it. And Jesus, now we know Jesus, you know, Jesus said, you know, if, if you have faith, the grain of mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea. And you don't doubt those things, but believe, you know, and, and you'll have whatever you say. All right, Mark, Mark 11. It's the verse that Dad Hagen wrote. You'd have to be old school to understand that joke. I'm sorry, but there's a man named Kenneth Hagen that preached so much on that. Some people thought he put it in the Bible, but, um, <laughs> but, but he starts that whole discourse with have faith in God. He didn't, he didn't say, if you have faith, the mountain can move. He said, moving the mountain is about anchoring your, your faith in who God is. So it's not a question of what can God do. The question is, well, what do I believe he can do? But the, the better question is, who do I believe he is? Do you see what I'm saying? Um, faith, faith, faith doesn't really ask what you believe is possible, faith asks, who have you believed in? Because ultimately, who, what we believe God to be able to do comes out of who we believe God is. And, and you know, as Father's Day, if we believe God's a distant God who's powerful but not very nice or kind and somewhat mean, and we ask him and sometimes he chooses to extend his scepter and sometimes not, it's going to be really hard for us to see miracles. But if we believe that he is a loving father who is near and present and, des and desires to bless and work in and through us and that we can bring anything to him and he is involved and wants to be involved, then it might be easier to understand that he might would then be the God that does miracles.
It's who, who have I believed in. Um, you, you simply cannot have faith in a God that you don't know, which is why we're always saying you, you got to be in a group and you got to read your Bible and you got to pray. It's not that those are religious obligations. It's about knowing God because faith is anchored not in what you think he can do. Faith is anchored in who you believe him to be. And the limiting point of what he can do is who you believe. But the limiting point of what you believe is who you believe he is. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Okay, I got to go on. So the third thing is then, um, what you do determines what God can do. So, so God can do miracles. The limiting factor here of miracles is belief. God's not limited by power. He's limited by belief. And, and by the way, if you're like, I don't believe I can limit God, just one verse. The Bible says, and Jesus could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. Right? It didn't say he chose not to. It said he couldn't. Why? Because belief is a limiting factor. Okay, last thing. Then. What, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what you do determines what God will do. John 2, verse 7. Then Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Fill the jars. So they filled them to the brim. If you're looking for the key to a miracle, this we worked so hard to get here, so please don't miss this. Right? I know it's been long, but write this down. Here's the key to a miracle. You have to fill the jars. Here's the key to the miracle. Um, the Bible has over 120 recorded miracles that I could find. Um, however, John, in the Gospel of John, I think it's chapter 20, verse 30, he says that if all of the miraculous things that Jesus did were to have been written down, he supposes there would not be volumes enough to contain them. Now, that was just three years, right? So we actually, in the Bible, it just gives us a sampling of what God has done, just so we'll know what he can do and what he wants to do. It doesn't tell us every miracle that he did, right? It just tells us the ones apparently that we need to know to have faith that he does miracles. But I think the secret is you have to fill the jars. What I mean by that is <clears throat> if you start studying the miracles throughout Scripture, here's what I did. I played a game. I played a game to say, okay, post-creation, can I find a miracle that God did without a human being involved? I was unsuccessful. I was like, yeah, I mean, he spoke the, the worlds into existence, but then he created Adam. And then you get to the flood. Now, he did the flood. No one prayed for the flood, but saving people out of the flood meant somebody had to build an ark. And he didn't let the rain start until the ark was finished. And when you start looking throughout Scripture, it is real. I'm not saying you can't, but I'm just saying I was unsuccessful in finding a miracle where a human wasn't also involved. That all the miracles seemed to work like the parting of the Red Sea. Moses, go stretch out your staff, right? The Jordan River crossing. The priests, the Levites, they're going to have to go and stand in the river. Jericho, hey, y'all have got to march around it, and then, and then you've got to shout, right? Sun stands still. Joshua, you're going to have to pray. I mean, you just start trying trying to walk through some of, of all of these miracles. Um, and, and then, you, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to need somebody to surrender their value meal from Long John Silver's, and I'm going to have to get the disciples to pass that thing out. Right? And then water into wine. 
Think about this. Jesus never does anything to get water out of wine. It really all happened because of what the servants did. All he did was fill the jars. Now draw some out. That's all he did. Fill the jars. And I'm just saying that, that God's miracles most of the time are conditional, meaning that they have a lot to do with what we're willing or, or are obedient to do on our side. His miracles are supernatural and his part is the super, but typically our part is the natural. What if they would have said, Jesus would have said, fill the jars. And I ain't filling the jars. I mean, what if we're filling the jar? People need to wash their hands. They need wine. And or better yet, it said, fill the jars to the brim. What if they say, we'll put a little water in there. That kind of pees Mary. That means we did the thing, but we don't really believe anything's going to happen. But it said, no, no, no. They filled the jars to the brim. Because many times I think the level of our obedience determines the greatness of our miracle. And God is, he's not, listen, he's not looking for people who can understand. He's not even looking for people that can explain. He's looking for people that will believe and simply do what he says. He didn't, none of them had to go to the master of the ceremony and say, hey, now here's the deal. Yeah, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> you know what I'm like, they didn't have to explain where they got the wine from. They didn't have to understand how the water turned into wine. Are you with me? They just had to fill the jars. Like to me, this is the secret of a miracle. If you need a miracle today, fill the jars. What? Do whatever he says to do. Well, what does he say to do? Fill the jars. This is the secret to the miracle. And I wonder sometimes if the reason we're not seeing a miracle is because the jars aren't full. Because get this, they couldn't draw anything out until they filled the jars to the brim. Do you hear what I'm saying? They had to fill them before they could draw them out. And I'm just saying, maybe this is how we need to live. This is what we need to be. Fill the jars every day. Fill the jar. What does that look like? I don't know. What is God saying in your situation? What is he asking you to do? Maybe he's asking you to forgive someone. Maybe he's asking you to believe something. Maybe he's asking you to read something. Maybe he's asking you to pray something. Maybe he's asking you to declare something. Maybe he's asking you to serve or to give. I don't know what God is calling you to do, but I'm saying in one way or the other, if God wants to turn your water into wine. He's going to need you to fill the jars and you can't draw a miracle out of jars that haven't been filled up. I can't wait till I have a bigger stage. And if you need a miracle, there's probably something. And this is where I was thinking about Ezekiel and I started preaching on Ezekiel this weekend and I changed it. But the Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel 37. I love this. I love this. I love this. It's the same principle. God comes to Ezekiel. Now, this is a prophetic vision. It didn't really happen. It's all in the spirit. But it did happen in that God's talking about Israel, and he's going to bring Israel back to life, right? Going to revive them. So he takes Ezekiel to a Valley of Dry Bones, and he asks this question. Ezekiel, can these bones live? Here's what I've learned. If God is asking you a question, he's not looking for information. (laughs) 
He's typically looking for faith. Ezekiel thinks he's bone slip. Well, God, you know, I'm glad you asked. Um, he's actually doing some Googling and uh, watched a YouTube video on dry bones. And uh, I'm glad you came to me before we got too far into this so I could explain to you that really it's impossible. I mean, we don't even know which bones go with which bones. And they're all kind of brittle and dry. Probably if we move them, they're going to fall apart. He's like, Ezekiel, <laughs> I don't need you to understand. I'm not asking you because I need you to explain it. I'm asking to see, would you be willing to fill the jars? Because look what Ezekiel says. So cool. Ezekiel 37, 7, God says, now Ezekiel, can these bones live? And he's like, Lord, this Ezekiel is honest. I don't know. God's like, good. You don't need to know. I know. I don't need you to know, but I need you to prophesy. And so the Bible says, Ezekiel said, I prophesied as I was commanded. Did I understand? No. Was I certain? Maybe not. Could I explain it? No way in the world. But was I willing to fill the jars? Yeah. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And then there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together. Bones. Why? Because when God said, fill the jars, Ezekiel filled the jars. And what I'm saying as a church is if we don't believe in miracles, we probably won't see them. But also what I'm saying is if we don't start filling jars, we probably won't see them. And I'm saying as a church, as pathway for me, I want to see everything that Jesus paid for. Do you know why I think God heals? Because in healing, Jesus gets what he pays for. And in healing, God gets what he paid for. That's why in this miracle it said it glorified God. Why? Because it was something only God could do. And what I'm saying as a church is, I can't explain the miracles we have seen or the miracles we haven't seen. I don't understand some of the miracles we have seen and some of the miracles we haven't seen. But God's not asking me to put on a class to explain his job. He's asking me to fill jars. And I'm just saying to you, could we be the church that fills jars? That says, God, whatever you say, that's what we'll do. And we'll just trust. I don't know if the bones can live, but I'll speak to them if that's what you want me to do. I don't know, God, can this person be healed? Maybe I'm not sure, but I'll pray and I'll speak healing and I'll, I'll, I'll claim healing by the stripes of Jesus because that's what the word of God tells me to do. And could we be the church that fills jars? In, in Acts chapter four, the, the, the disciples, Acts chapter four, verse 30, they specifically pray and they just simply say in verse 30, God, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I'm saying, hey, Pathway, if nothing else, could we start there with filling our jars? Could we just start praying that God would do miracles? Like every day when you pray, will you join me? God, we're praying you do miracles. We're not going to explain whether we think you can or can't. We're not, not going to go through it. God, will you do miracles? God, stretch out your hand to do miracles. God performed miracles and signs and what? We're going to fill the jars. Why? Because at some point we may need to draw something out and we want full jars. Amen. At some point there could be a diagnosis and we want full jars. 
At some point, there may need to be a miracle. We want to make sure the jars are full. Are you with me? And I'm just saying as a church today, I've done the best that I know how to try to tell you what I think God is telling our church, which is, will you just fill the jars? Stop worrying about how it happens, when it happens. Stop trying to explain it. Stop trying to make it all make sense. Will you just fill jars? Will you be a church that fills jars? Because I'm saying a church that fills jars is a church that will see miracles. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) Why don't you stand? God, we want to be that church. I want to be that person. I want to be the person, God, that fills jars. And God, today, stir our hearts. And we, God, we always stop right here and we say, God, what are you speaking to me? And I want to encourage everyone in the room to take a moment and ask God what he's speaking to them. But even in that, God, if there's a jar we need to fill, speak that to us. If there's a jar we need to fill, speak that to us. God, we want to simply trust and be the people that fill jars. With your heads bowed, no one looking around, take a moment, listen to God. Maybe he's telling you a a jar that you need to fill. But I also want to take a moment, if there's anyone in this room or anyone watching online that maybe you don't have a relationship with God, and here's what I believe. I believe if you don't have a relationship with God, I believe you know it. I believe the Holy Spirit kind of lets you know that you feel far away from God. You don't feel close to God. You kind of have this, maybe even, you don't have that peace. You kind of have that dissonance. Like when I say, do you have a relationship with God? I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer or been to church. I'm saying, you know if you have a real, genuine, like on fire, surrendered, full of love relationship with somebody. You know if you have that relationship with God. And if you don't, then I'd love to pray with you. And so if you're in this room or watching online and and you're like, no, that's not what I have, but that's what I want, then it's simple. You just pray this prayer. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died and rose again. I ask you to forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. Make me a new person, a new creation. Help me to follow you. And, And God, I pray as they pray their version of that prayer, God, that you would be near and close. They would sense your presence and God, you would change them forever, help them to follow you. God, for all of our church, we, we want to be the people that fill jars. We want to be the people that fill jars. So God, help us to simply fill the jars you want us to fill. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Awesome. Listen, if you pray that prayer, whether you're in this room or not, you can text prayer to the number on the screen. Someone will be in touch with you. We would love to pray with you. Um, everyone else, we say a big God bless you. We love you. Happy Father's Day. Come on, can we give Jesus one more praise before we get out of here? He is obviously amazing. Listen, we love you so much. Can't wait to see you next week, whether it's in person or online. You don't want to miss next week. It's going to be incredible. Uh, But love you all. God bless you. Have a happy Father's Day. We will see you next weekend. Until then, go take over the world.